should have been there when he died. I promised him that I would. Even if everyone forsakes you, I will never fall away. I am ready to go with you to prison, to death even. I will lay down my life for you, I told him. Instead, he laid down his life for me. He's the one that remained faithful to his promises. Now, my heart is torn with guilt and shame. I may not have been the one to nail him to the cross. But I crucified him by what I did not do. You know me as Peter, which means the rock. But I was the rock that crumbled in the sand. Just like he warned me I would. If this is how it was all going to end anyways, if he knew that this is how it was all going to end, then why did he even choose me to follow him in the first place? Remember the day he walked by? I was with my brother Andrew. We were casting our nets into the sea. Come, follow me, I heard a stranger say. I will make you fish for people. Of, cor- of course, of course I would follow him. There is nothing that would have kept me from following him. What an honor to follow a rabbi. And who knows, maybe one day become a rabbi myself. You see, I, I just... Assumed that I was destined to spend the rest of my days just casting nets into the sea over and over again, every day, just casting those nets, reeling in the fish, or not, as was so often the case. But Jesus made me feel like I could do anything. kept letting him down. You recall that terrible storm that night. Oh, on the Sea of Galilee, we thought we were going to drown. And there in the midst, what? Who? There on the water, is it a ghost? It is I, I heard him say. And before anyone else could think, I cried out, If it's you, let me come to you on the water. If he could do it, so could I. That's what he's been telling me the whole time. And there I was, out on the water, actually walking on the water. And then came the wave. I was consumed with fear. Self-doubt. 
Save me, Lord. I just cried it out intuitively. And there I sank, like, well, like a rock. But I learned some from, from that experience. I, I learned that he would never turn his back on me. He would always be there for me. He would never deny me. He would never act as though he didn't know me. Even as I was sinking down, he reached down to save me. Who do you say that I am? He asked us once on another occasion. Again, before anyone else could even think, I rushed with the answer because I knew. You're the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of the living God. And you are Peter, he told me. And on this rock, me, I will build my church. Was that the answer? Was that the reason why he had chosen me? The reason why he needed me? No. No, not, not me. Peter, he seemed to suggest to me that night. Peter, you will become a sand, he seemed to say to me. But I've prayed for you. That's what he told me. I prayed for you. What did he see in me that I could not? Remember me, he told us. This very night, as we were sharing our Passover meal, remember me. He took a bread and he lifted it up. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And then he picked up a cup. He said, this cup, a new covenant in my blood. Forgiveness for all. Do this for the remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. As if we could forget. And then he said those words that just cut me like a knife. He said to all of us, he said, all of you will forsake me. Never. No. No. No, not, not me. How, how? How could he say that about me? I've always been by his side. Bold, eager, brash, ready. Ready to even die. I told him as much. It was true. Yes, all of you, is what he replied. And then he spoke right to me. He said, Peter, after the cock crows a second time tonight, you will have betrayed me three times. No. <laughs> no. Never. Not once, not twice. Not three times, no way. I would stand beside him. And I did. I was there in the garden. I would show him. They came to us, for us, with lamps and swords. 
They reached for him. They were going to take him away. We all knew that. So I did what I had to. I pulled out my sword. I was not going to forsake him. And my sword glistened in the lamplight. There was a cry. There was blood. Peter, stop. Put down your sword. It's the last thing he told me. I was trying to protect him. And they seized him and it was all a blur. We all just scattered. I didn't know what to do. I, I hid. I, I hid. They took him to the house of Caiaphas. They were going to put him on trial. I wanted to be with him. I told him that I would be. Stand by him. I would testify for him. I would do something Someone needed to be there. But I hid. I waited and I hid in the darkness. They found me there, of course. They found me. They wouldn't leave me alone. One after another, they noticed me. They questioned me. They accused me. Each time, once, twice, three times. You're surely one of them, they said. Once, twice, three times. No. Don't know who you're talking about. And then the rooster crowed that second time. It wasn't just the sound of a rooster, though, was it? It was the sound of a thousand tolling bells for my judgment. That rooster crowed and I remembered what he told me. It was just a flood of tears that came across my face as I bent to the earth in shame. I had failed my Lord. No, I've, I've failed him before. It was, it was more than that. I, I denied him. Sobbing through those tears, I, I rose to run away. I set my face the direction I was going to go. And then I saw it. I saw him. He saw me. And it wasn't, it wasn't, that's not it. it. He didn't see me. He looked at me. Intently, with purpose. If I could only describe what I saw in the way that he was looking at me, not the anger or disgust that I assumed and expected. It was, it was worse than that. No, I'll, I'll tell you how I remember it. In that glance, I saw him reaching out to me to save me once more in the midst of his great agony. He remembered me. 
didn't remember my failure. The ways that I disappointed him over and over again, he remembered me. Do this for the remembrance of me, he had said. He had said this on this very night when he was denied, when he was betrayed. When you do this, remember me. And I do. Once, my eyes were overflowing with tears, but now it is, it is my cup that overflows. No matter how many times I've stumbled and let him down, he, he prayed for me. He called me. He knew what he was doing. He saved me. Saved me from the fiercest storm of all. I should have been there when he died. But now I will deny him no longer. I will take the cup of salvation and I, I will call on the name of the Lord forever. Some more reflection on Peter for tonight. So I remember studying in high school this medieval play called Everyman. When I say I remember, I mean there was a medieval play called Everyman, and we talked about it once for some amount of time in high school. I don't remember a whole lot more than that. Don't tell Mrs. Russell, my advanced lit teacher. So I Googled it to confirm what I thought was true, that Everyman is what they call an allegorical morality play, the main character's name is Everyman. It's meant to represent just what his name implies. A generic, composite kind of character with the same fears and the same feelings and the same questions and the same concerns and characteristics that anyone and every, every man and every woman could recognize and relate to. So I found myself thinking about this notion of a biblical every man, as I considered Peter, who we heard from a moment ago. Unlike last week, that thief's mother, right, and even some of the others, Eve and Barabbas and Nicodemus and Pilate, who we've heard from over the course of this Lenten season, it seems like we know quite a bit more about Peter. We know he was one of the first and favorite disciples, Jesus picked him for all the cool stuff, like that trip up the mountain for transfiguration, that visit to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, and the command to help set the table and prepare for the Last Supper. When he met Jesus, his name was simply Simon, till Jesus blessed him with the new name Cephas, or Peter, which means rock, because Jesus promised that he would be the rock on which God's church would be built. And Peter receives, too, some of the greatest lessons in Scripture. He asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive? Remember that? Whether he likes the answer or not, Jesus tells him not once, not twice, not seven times even, but 77 times, Peter. It was Peter, too, that Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. Tonight, 
we know, it was Peter who learned the difference between serving and being served. But Peter's a portrait of contradictions. In one instant, he's declared the cornerstone of the church. He's given the keys to the kingdom. In the next breath, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You've completely missed the point. In another instant, Peter's walking on water like we heard. And then, in the next, he's sinking fast like a stone. Oh, you of little faith. At one moment, Peter's a gangbuster of a follower. He says, we've left everything and followed you. And the next, he's asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane while Jesus prays just before his arrest. At one moment, Peter's defending Jesus with the sword, cutting off that slave's ear in that garden. And the next, he's denying to strangers that he knows Jesus at all. Peter's kind of a mess, really. Does any of that sound familiar? And I don't mean to ask if you've read your Bible or if you know all of those things from Peter's biography any more than I remember what I learned in my high school lit class. I mean, I believe the reason Peter was such a prominent part of Jesus' life and ministry and the reason every one of the gospel writers shares so much about him is that Peter is every man, every woman too, and everyone of faith in so many ways. Just like Peter, don't we all want to walk on water and move mountains if only we could muster the faith and trust God enough to do it? Just like Peter, don't we all struggle with forgiveness? Who and when or how often or how much or if even to forgive? Just like Peter in the garden, don't we fight to resist sleeping at the wheel of our faith, neglecting even God's simplest requests, turning from God's loving ways, resisting what we know is good and righteous and holy and faithful. Just like Peter, don't our faith and our devotion and our desire to love Jesus come and go and ebb and flow and rise and fall in ways that make us want to stand up and fight for justice in one instance, only to be silent and hiding the next. Just like Peter, we exalt God's power and God's place in our lives when all is sweet and good and nice. But we doubt, and then we deny, and then we despair too much of the time when things stop going the way we wish or want or expect or think we deserve. But the good news in all of this, there's good news in all of this is that Jesus knew and Jesus knows this about Peter. And Jesus knew and Jesus knows this about each and every one of us just the same. And Jesus washes our feet anyway. And Jesus feeds us bread and wine anyway. And Jesus forgives us and loves us anyway. So I hope Peter, this every man of our faith helps us to see and to receive and to believe that this grace, this good news, this mercy, this forgiveness, this love, and this 
new life we're looking for belong even to us. It is for every man. It is for every woman. It is for every child of God, every saint and every sinner in spite of ourselves, no matter what and with no strings attached. Belongs to every one of us simply because everything, including even you and even me on our worst days, belong to God. Amen.